0: From Gimlet Media, this is The Nine, a podcast about black culture from Blackness's biggest fans. I'm Eric Eddings. And I'm Brittany Lewis. Do you know what time it is?
1: Do you I know do. what?
0: Ty- do you know where that comes from? Um,
1: no, but I decided you doing the bank hit bounce. I got really stressed <laughs> out.
0: <laughs> what are you doing? That's you remember like with Swiss Beats uh, says at the beginning of songs, like in, usually in videos. Do you know what time it
1: is? Tell me. Do you know? Do you know what time it is? Tell me. Do you know? Do you know? Yeah, but you know what? You just don't sound like him. So you just looked like yourself, uh, shaking your shoulders and asking me that question. Well, regardless, but I get it now. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> anyway, do you know what time it is? I have an inkling, but I also think that you're going to tell me. Well, you'd be right. It's time for peanut butter history. George Washington Carver was the wizard of the soil. George Washington Carver was the most well-known African-American of his day. During his lifetime, Carver extracted more than 300 products from the peanut. There is one product
1: that many mistakenly attribute to him. Peanut
0: butter.
1: Peanut butter history is a nod to the awe inspiring George Washington
0: Carver. Who didn't invent peanut butter, by the way, but he did think of hundreds of new uses for peanuts, including antiseptic hairdressing which was a mixture of peanut oil and lanolin. I feel like that combination
1: is a few ingredients short (laughs) of, honestly, some of those concoctions that some of these girls you make it on YouTube now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like deep conditioner, braid oil, whatever. And actually, it's probably only about 12 ingredients short of uh, Lester's Pink Oil Lotion. Well, there there you you
0: go. go. He was on to something. He was on to something. And this is also our homage to the many... Many black inventors, scientists, artists, and activists who have yet to be recognized for their contributions. And today, we're going to make sure that one activist gets the recognition they deserve.
1: Oh, an activist. Tell me more.
0: Yes, an activist. And while this story is going to end up in a place you won't expect, sadly, the way it starts is all too familiar. So the beginning goes like this. Black people begin to settle into a neighborhood. White people begin to move out. Yeah. Racism, lack of jobs, and opportunity leads to like protests and demonstrations. Even more white flight occurs. The city decides to build a freeway through the neighborhood, cutting it off from the rest of the city. Without support, the neighborhood declines. It's then marked for quote unquote redevelopment. Oh, yeah. Buildings get knocked down. Black families get displaced. This is sadly a tale as old as time. Do, mm-hmm. do those trends sound familiar?
1: Sound pretty familiar.
0: Since World War II, like, this process has been happening to black neighborhoods all over the U.S., you know, Detroit even. Yeah. Austin. You name the city. Some version of this has likely happened there. And that's almost how things ended up in today's story, if it were not for the actions of one woman. Her name is Eloise Westbrook. All right, does that name sound familiar? No. Okay. So, Eloise Westbrook was a legendary housing rights activist in the Bayview-Hunter's Point neighborhood of San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco. Yes. Yeah. She fought against literally every obstacle that post-war America threw at Black folks and came out victorious. And you mentioned you seem like Hunter's Point-Bayview rang a bell. Yeah. Because you just talked to someone.
1: Yeah, Jimmy Fails, the star of... Uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco.
0: Yes, yes, there you go. They highlight the neighborhood in the movie. Yeah. And so for Eloise's story, we are talking about that neighborhood, Bayview-Hunter's Point, but we're talking about that neighborhood in the 60s and the 70s. Okay. Okay? At that time, it was super overcrowded with hundreds of black families living in old, dilapidated housing stock that was just left over from World War II. And so by the late 60s, Bayview-Hunter's Point had been marked for redevelopment. Mm -hmm. Dun-dun-dun. You know, people were really nervous and afraid that that this redevelopment meant that, like, they too would be displaced. But Bayview had something that other neighborhoods didn't. They had Eloise Westbrook. Mm. She was a mom in her 50s around this time, and she was known as, like, this, like, tall woman, literally, like, six feet tall with just a ton of personality. And she was an activist for a lot of things, not just housing. Uh, she just spoke up for the neighborhood. So here's a clip of a speech she gave to black students at San Francisco State College. The students were protesting to try to get an ethnic studies program. I want you to listen to how she introduces herself.
1: I want you to know that I, I am a black woman. I'm a mother. And I have 15 grandchildren. And I want a college that I can be proud of. Yeah. 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 I don't have a one life to give, children. When I die, I'm dead. And you better believe it. But I'm dying for the rights of people. I mean, if you've got 15 grandchildren, you got to ensure <laughs> <laughs> the future. Exactly. I mean, that's high stakes.
0: Yeah. And clearly she's like, tough lady, straight shooter, like mm-hmm. says it how it is.
1: Nice yeah. skin too, I just got to say. I can see the video, y'all can't see the video. <laughs> yeah. But black really don't crack. I can't yeah. believe she
0: was in her 50s. Yeah. Looking like good. That. She had a nice look. I don't, know if it, I don't even know if it was a wig. It's a wig. It's a wig. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she had it nice a nice wig going on. everybody had a wig. Yeah. Uh, but she was fresh. And so Eloise and four other black women in the Bayview-Hunter's Point neighborhood became known as the Big Five of Bayview. Mm. And To be frank, they ran shit out there. They formed this joint housing committee to negotiate with the city to bring new housing to the neighborhood without displacing residents. I want to actually play you this clip from this 1969 documentary called Hunter's Point, A View from the Hill. Mm. It's about the housing situation in Hunter's Point, and it's from local TV station out there, K-R-O-N. Now, it was a while ago... So pay close attention to how they describe her. You can kind of hear the subtle, or maybe not subtle, disdain <laughs> for the power that she wields.
1: In Hutter's Point, as in most black communities, the burden of public responsibility has been shouldered largely by black women. The current leader of the local matriarchy is Mrs. Eloise Westbrook. She is chairman of the Joint Housing Committee. The influence of women like Mrs. Westbrook rests in their ability to forcefully articulate the needs and attitudes of the community. I do feel like that the people in Point have been very, very patient. They, uh, they have been uh, kind enough not to burn it down. And I think that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, oh, local matriarch,
0: the way she oh, forcefully wields force, her power. Forcefully
1: articulates. Yeah. Which is true, but also it still feels coded.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But, I mean, I, I like what she said about, like, how nice it is, how kind it is that people didn't burn it down.
0: <laughs> She's like, you know, look, we tolerated oh you for a while. It's time that to it's do something new. real. Though.
1: That's you know? very real.
0: So, I mean, instead of burning that place down, <laughs> she demanded meetings. She called elected officials incessantly. And soon, the redevelopment agency for the city just decided that the best way to deal with her is to work with her. There <laughs> and you go. Yeah. So they started actually negotiating with the Joint Housing Committee to do things differently this time. So they finally settled on a site in the Hunters Point neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They even secured an agreement from the mayor that the new building would be funded with federal dollars that had already been awarded. Yeah. So obviously this is where shit starts to go south. Mm. So the mayor hits up Eloise and the Joint Housing Authority after the building has been demolished and lets them know that the federal government has not yet released the $14 million that they needed to build the new housing. It's a really large number. You can't just pull $14 no. million. No, I mean, dollars.
1: $14 million is a lot now, but that's a lot back—what years are we talking about?
0: We're talking about, like, late 60s. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And to mayor's credit, the mayor and the head of the redevelopment agency, both in individual trips, flew to D.C. to try to negotiate with HUD to just, like, release the money. Just give them the money. It would already been awarded, Whew. but no dice. So you know these ridiculously powerful white men accepted this no, but Eloise refused. She knew that she could do better, so she proposed that they'd go to Washington and just ask the HUD secretary to release the funds. Now, folks thought that plan was laughable. Like, yeah. literally, the most powerful white man in the city had just tried that and it, it ended, didn't work. It ended in failure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so they were like they literally said to her like how are you gonna go you know you being this black woman gonna get these like powerful white people to do something yeah why why would that even be possible but again Eloise is not going to take no for an answer and this is this is one of many many times in this story that Eloise will teach people that you just don't tell her no it's just not a word that she acknowledges mm. okay And I just want to say, we know so much of this story because she was interviewed so extensively by a grad student, Rachel Rahensky. And also, the Joint Housing Committee, they took incredible fucking notes. So, all right, are you ready to hear the story of how Eloise managed to accomplish something that even the most powerful white man in her town could not?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's irresistible. (laughs) (laughs) The premise of that is irresistible. yes.
0: Well, I need you to be a little more patient because that story is coming after the break. Welcome back. Welcome back. Okay, so let's get back to Eloise's story.
1: Okay, um, so I have got four minutes on the clock. You got four minutes to tell this story. And mm-hmm. to make it just a little more challenging, to add a little, a little bit of a swerve, a little twist, I'm going to play you some music that speeds up as it goes along, just to put the pressure. You know, I like to keep my foot On your neck
0: You do That you do (laughs) (laughs) Okay are you ready To tell the story Uh yes Okay Ready Yes Set So it's 1970 And people thought Eloise and her group Just couldn't go to Washington And get this done They were like nah It's just not about to happen fam Uh and so you know Again another no That Eloise is faced with But Eloise doesn't know that song So she and the women Of the Joint Housing Authority They raised money For 14 people to be able to go to DC and ask for this money back. From San Francisco? From San Francisco. Oh, so, shit. Massive delegation. So sadly, the next no that they got was from their congressman once they got to DC. He... Wait, so
1: they raised the money, they got to DC. And then he, they said no.
0: Yeah, he, like, refused to even, like, meet with him. Mm. So Eloise calls his secretary and is like, no, we'll be there at 10 o'clock. And if he's not there—listen to this real good. It's a quote, mind you. Mm-hmm. If he's not there, we're going to throw out all the furniture from his office and throw your ass out, too. So, of course— The congressman was waiting for them on the steps of the Capitol (laughs) building when they got there. He didn't want them to actually throw him and his shit out of the window, but he told them he couldn't do anything. Another no, no like number two or three. But he walked them over to the office for one of their senators also refused to meet with them. Mm. So, like, the secretary for his office said, you must be the Eloise Westbrook delegation. Look, you can sit here in the waiting room and the rest of you can go and sit in the hallway. Mm. So, Eloise said, like, wait. Look around here and find us a room to sit in because we are not going to sit in the hallway. So, they obviously found a room, but the senator never showed up. Mm. His staff quickly realized, though, that they were not going to leave until someone did something. So his staff actually got them a chance meeting with the leadership of HUD. That's a massive win. That's hard to get. Oh my gosh. So finally, like, they're getting somewhere. Maybe they're going to get a yes at this point. Things are looking up. So the women head over to HUD and they pour into the lead HUD official's office and they wait and they wait and they wait. So Eloise is getting annoyed, and apparently she like gets up and sits in the lead HUD official's chair. And so oh when he finally shit. arrives, he had no place to sit and was very pissed off about it, to which she oh. gave no fucks. So now this is where... It gets real. So Eloise and the group, they begin to make a case for why Hunter's Point is so badly in need of this money. Mm-hmm. She then reminds them that they had already awarded it to them. Like, it was promised. And so one of the officials said, "Miss Westbrook, we didn't promise you a damn thing. What? It was those Democrats from the previous administration who promised.
1: Oh, no. So there's
0: another member of the delegation, Geneva Whitfield, who has been in the room the whole time. Geneva looks around at the situation and realizes she had enough. She said... One of these men looked up at us as though we were a bunch of animals. Mm. And I kept assuring myself that I was a human being and I thought of my children. And as I thought of this, I felt that it was the end of the line. I wanted to get him, even if it meant I had to perish. Wow. At which point, the woman got up and literally tried to get him. She, like, started, like, kicking and fighting, had to be restrained. You
1: know what? Sometimes people need hands. I'm really (laughs) glad that she did that because sometimes that's what people need.
0: So everybody started shouting at this point. Like, the meeting devolves into this massive mess. At which point, though, Eloise gets up. She starts crying and just, like, moving a little weird. And faints. Oh, my gosh. So people in the room, they, like, fear she might have had a stroke. Ambulance comes along and, ta- and tries to take her to this charity hospital. Oh, my gosh. She is like, no, don't take me to a charity hospital. She demands to be taken to the hospital where the members of Congress are treated. Mm. And so, which they do. So in her absence, the group gets to work. Like, they're insisting, like, that these, you know, officials, these Republicans, they have greatly disrespected Eloise. And they demanded that the funds be released immediately. Mm. Now, it turns out that Eloise was fine. Now, no one is saying that she faked it. You know what? I'm going to be
1: honest. As a, somebody with the flair for the dramatic, I caught, the, I caught a whiff of that. <laughs> I caught a whiff. Um, but actually, in an even more dramatic turn of events, uh, your time has actually run out. But please, <laughs> please continue, because I, I need to know I need to know what happens. Like, I got, I got to figure out what happens. What, what's Eloise going to
0: do? Okay. So, she was released to go back to her hotel room later that day. Now, Eloise says, when I woke up, they were shaking me and saying, hey, you got a telegram from Mayor the from Mayor Alito. That was a mayor from San Francisco at the time. Uh-huh. And it said, come home, baby. We got the money. Needless to say, everyone was shocked. Not just because Eloise and the crew got the money. They were shocked because the Nixon administration, mind you, notoriously racist, Woo. didn't just give them the $14 million that they were promised. Eloise and her delegation came home having secured $30 million. Dollars, More than double the amount If Eloise had not commandeered Ooh. that meeting Actually, wait If Eloise had not commandeered every single fucking point of that <laughs> trip They never would have gotten the money They literally came home to a parade in the neighborhood in their honor
1: That's so wonderful yeah. Oh my gosh Does she have a statue up somewhere in San Francisco? She
0: doesn't have a statue But they did name uh, a street after her Oh my gosh the neighborhood.
1: Well, It's just such a quick-needed hit of inspiration to hear Eloise's story. And also, too, it was so nice to see the video of her talking. She's very beautiful. She's yeah. very tall. She has so much presence. Mm-hmm. And she looks like somebody that I could know. But also, it's I realized it's very rare to see outside of maybe Fannie Lou Hamer mm-hmm. footage of Black women uh, speaking to large groups of people Do you know what I mean? Especially—or in front of press, because she had press microphones in front of her when she was talking in the clips that you showed me earlier. During, like, the years in the civil rights movement, it's just so rare to see that. And it's like, you know, Eloise is somebody that I did not learn about in school.
0: Most of us didn't, sadly. Yeah.
1: And, like, I had never even come across her name reading or— you know, self-education or anything like that. And the fact that there was footage like this, it makes me think of like, not only, okay, obviously how many more Eloises are there all of the communities where black people exist in the country, but also like how many more Eloises existed that were actually recorded that we don't even see?
0: Totally. Yeah, there's so much stuff of her out there, but because there's not enough conversation about who she was and what she was doing, yeah, or just about women who were like, like doing so much of this work at well, the time.
1: It's like a lot of times I think that like we we there's like this sort of like reflexive argument that's like, oh well, people you know, women were working behind the scenes. So yeah. It's like this one was not working behind the scenes. No. They raise incredible amounts of money. And they secured the bag. Yes. Literally, literally. <laughs> literally secured the bag for their entire community. And they were recorded. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I just, I'm in my feelings right now.
0: They were just so effective. There's a clip I want to play you. Mm-hmm. So this is after they had secured the money. Mm-hmm. She's just talking about how they worked with the city. And I watched this and like, I just got hyped.
1: We were going to be a part of, and all the decisions that was going to be made in this community, we were going to be a part of those decisions. And I want to say that we have been selecting the architects, selecting the contractors. Uh, whenever they made bids and things like that, we knew everything about all the bids. When any employee is hired out here in Hunters Point, we have a part in hiring that employee. We also have a part in finding and uh, 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 which I think is just beautiful because I don't think it's another another urban renewal that works like the way that Hunter's Point worked. So watching that clip is interesting because it gives me so many questions about like, so obviously I know how, how things, things turn up. out <laughs> because I already spoke with Jimmy about neighborhoods like Fillmore and Hunters Point mm-hmm. and Bayview. I'm wondering what happened, though, in the in-between. Because, like, it sounds like they had, like, a
0: remarkable amount of power in this situation. They did. But you know how the shit be? Racism. Like, Mm, so the building they were trying to secure money for was finished. But a third of the way through construction on the other projects that they had hoped to build, the Nixon administration just withdrew half the funds.
1: They took the money?
0: Yeah. So a lot of people got nicer homes than they ever had access to before. But the real scope of what they had planned for redevelopment in Hunter's Point was just, like, never fully realized Mm. Because they weren't able to build as much housing as they hoped, though, all the conditions that had previously led to, like, crime and blight and overcrowding, they eventually returned. And we're kind of back, sadly, to where we were. But to me, you know, that doesn't change the fact that, like, basically, like, when Hunter's Point, when Bayview, when when that neighborhood needed her, she found a way. You know, even if it was temporary, she still, like, beat that system that, like, normally always wins. For for a time she did it. She's yeah. doing that thing.
1: But I will say the story of Eloise it's just giving me so much to chew on. Yeah. I just it's just making me really feel like I have the fuel that I need to deal with some of the ridiculous insurmountable <laughs> challenges
0: that that I have yet to face, you know, in make, this in this month. Yeah. Make tomorrow tell a white man, you can't tell me no day, you know. I might make it today. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Eloise Westbrook deserves some recognition, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, Eloise Westbrook, welcome to the, the peanut, peanut Butter Pantheon. It's
1: <laughs> Peanut butter, peanut peanut butter, peanut butter.
0: Can't get enough of Eloise? We'll link to some of the amazing archival footage of her speeches and interviews in the show notes. And if you want to hear more about what life is like in Hunters Point Bayview today, check out our episode called "The Last Black Man in San Francisco." It's about the movie of the same title and features Brittany's interview with Jimmy Fails, the star of the film. They talked about the changing tides of Black San Francisco. And it's just really, really good. You don't want to miss it. You can listen to that episode on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. The Nod is produced by me, Eric Eddings, with Brittany Luce and Kate Parkinson-Morgan. Our senior producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. This episode was edited by Sarah Saracen. It's fact-checked by Max Gibson. The show was mixed by Cedric Wilson. Our theme music is by Khalid B. For additional music credits, check the show notes.